Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's broadcast. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions. 303-690-3000 is the number. 303-690-3000. And uh, we are taking your calls this afternoon, knowing um, that the Lord is going to use this show. Uh, He's going to minister to our hearts. We're going to have fellowship over the airwaves. Whether you're here in the metro area or you are uh, on the East Coast or down South, we are welcoming you to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and I have the privilege of being the host on the show a couple times a week. And I want you to call, so give me a call, 303-690-3000, And you can text me when we're waiting for phone calls to come in. We use the text line pretty extensively, 720-336-0897. That's a dedicated phone number just for texting. Uh, you can use your Android, your iPhone, your iPad, doesn't matter what you use, that will that number will receive text messages, iMessages, whatever you want, however you want to send it, send it to us, and I will get it, and if uh, we have time, I'll use it on the air. If we don't have time, I pray over them, sometimes I can answer them, sometimes I can't, uh, you just don't know, you don't know how the day will go, so 303-690-3000, have a special guest in our pulpit last night at Calvary Church, Pastor Kyle and his wife Krista are here uh, in the last stages of their furlough from the ministry, church planting, and uh, all kinds of ministry going on in Belen, Brazil. Uh, if uh, Brazil is a place that has captured your heart and you want to get behind some missionaries that are on the cutting edge of ministering to the down and out, whether it's through the dynamic uh, time of their park outreach where they do church in the park every week or in their building or reaching out to the prostitutes or the drug addicts or you name it. Uh, God is using them in incredible ways and we received an update from them as well as Pastor Kyle taught us in the Word on the topic of doubt and unwavering faith. It was very powerful I just sensed in Kyle this prophetic edge in his teaching, like God has given him that prophetic edge and that sense of a prophet, uh, an exhorter, and uh, it was really, really good that um, God built us up. And And so we're Wednesday nights we do, it's a variety of things. It's a real big family gathering, and uh, we do, a, we, it's, you never know what a Wednesday is going to be. I mean, normally we're teaching through the Bible, so regularly we're actually in the book of Daniel, on Wednesdays. I've been putting studies together. It's, wow, so encouraging. Uh, It's been many, many, many years since I taught the book of Daniel, so going through it again, uh, studying it, 
reading through it, being inspired by Daniel, being inspired by prophecy, but more importantly, being inspired by God. God is the central focus of Daniel. And if you're ever in a Bible trivia uh, game, and, and you're questioning, what's the central focus of Daniel? What's the theme of Daniel? God. What's the theme of Matthew? God. What's the theme of Revelation? God. He is the focus of the entire book. And I was meditating on this truth today, just praying to God in my teaching and also in our church, the, the, for a lack of a better phrase, the American church, the church in the United States, have made almost made self the center of the Bible. Like it's all about like a self-help book. And how discouraging that it, that is. It's not a self-help book. <laughs> it, I, just write that. You know, maybe if you're driving, you can't write it, but like write that down. My Bible is not a self-help book. It's the exact opposite. I wonder if you ever considered that. The Bible is not a self-help book. Maybe you disagree with me. Call me. I'd love to hear your point of view. But I stand firmly on the, the biblical truth that the Bible is not a self-help book. But rather, it's a book of revelation. And the greatest revelation of the Bible is God. It is a book where he reveals himself and the plan of salvation for his creation that has fallen away from him. Not only that, but why salvation needs to take place. Not only that, but the very source of salvation and the very pathway to have your sins forgiven. Maybe you think, maybe you go to a church that just a lot of little platitudes and self-help and be a better person and spend your money better and be a better parent and be a better, be a better, be a better, which in and of itself is not bad because a believer in Jesus Christ will be better. But it's not a self-help book. Do you think it's a self-help book? Call me. I'd like to hear your point of view. Um, maybe we, maybe you have something to add to the conversation. The Bible is not a self-help book at all. 303-690-3000. Up to Greeley, Colorado. Jennifer on line one. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome, Jennifer. Um, so I was calling uh, for some prayer. Um, I'm struggling with submission. And okay. So I just need prayer. Okay. Do you want to talk about submission a little bit, or you just want me to pray? Um, I just no, I don't think so. God, God's been um, showing me some stuff this week, and okay, it's just Let's... hard. It's hard for me because of my mindset, but yes. I'm willing to walk where He takes me. Okay, and I just and... pray for that. And I would agree with you. It is hard. Um, submission, especially from your with past hurts and past difficulties, it is hard. But but I think listening to you, God has got a hold of you, and you can trust Him as you yes. choose to submit yourself. You know, and here and I would just say this: the order of submission is first to God, and then to others. And there are so many different areas of your life that you submit that you've learned already. You know, even in the conversation, I don't know if you notice, but when it's my turn to talk, you're quiet. And when it's your turn to talk, I'm quiet. And that's a form of submission. Did you know that? 
where I'm just respecting you, you're respecting me, and and that's really the essence of submission is respect for the person's authority in our lives, not for their sin, not for their abuse. You know, you're, we're never to submit to abuse. Uh, we're never to submit to sinful actions. Uh, but where there's always godly leadership, there's going to be godly submission. So I pray for my sister Jennifer, Lord. You're working in her heart. You're working out in her the. I just pray. I just feel. I, I feel. I sense God that she's fearful. And I pray about that fear in her heart. Maybe fearful to get hurt again. Maybe fearful to be abused or hurt, Lord. And and I know it's not your heart for her to be abused. I know it's not your heart for her to be hurt. And so I pray you would lead her and guide her and establish her in her desire to walk in obedience to you on the areas you've been speaking to her this weekend. And we look forward, Lord, to hearing victory, a, a story, uh, a testimony of victory. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Call back in a few weeks and let us know, good or bad, okay? Okay. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 303-690-3000. Again, Jennifer didn't tell us her story, but I have found over the years that submission is difficult because of past hurts, especially in the church. When I teach this this to the church, uh, I know there are always people uh, in the audience or listening on the radio that have been severely wounded or hurt by a leader by a spiritual leader, by a pastor, maybe even a priest. And so the idea of submitting to another person again is just not not in the cards. And I, I understand that, and I respect that, that feeling, but I also know that without submission, there's chaos. And, and so I think that um, Jennifer's heart it should be our heart. 303-690-3000. Julian is in Denver. Julian, welcome to the program. Hey, Julian, you with us? Okay, well, uh, the question that was... Oh, Julian, are you with us? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry. You're on the air. How you doing, Pastor? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I just had a question about believers who have passed away. I've, I know there's a lot of scriptures that say they're sleeping. And I also read a verse that... uh says to die is to be with the Lord. So yep. I just want to know which is it? Are they sleeping or are they in heaven? No, it's a great question because the Bible sometimes uses language that's descriptive. Um, in English class in high school, we were taught that that would be, that's known as a metaphor where it's using, or a simile, you know, like sleep is is what a corpse looks like when uh, of a dead person. And so sleep that's used in the Bible, um, for example, when the Bible talks about those who are asleep, um, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's a picture, it's a type of death. But that's only describing the physical body that's left behind. Uh, it's only describing the act of death because, the, as you well know, and, and I know it's hard to talk like this, but for those of us that have been to funerals, uh, we know that the body that's in front of us is lifeless, right? It has no life in it. And the reason why is because the soul and the spirit have vacated that body, right? Are you with me? Yes, sir. So the body looks like it's asleep, but it's actually not asleep. It could never be asleep, right? Because it's lifeless. Uh, mm-hmm. and And not too long after, it's going to disintegrate. 
but the soul and the spirit is always alive and always awake. And the Bible, like you said, in 2 Corinthians 5, says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so that that doctrine of soul sleep is is an inaccurate, false teaching. There is no such thing as soul sleep uh, where there's some kind of intermediary place between here and heaven. Uh, The last breath that a person takes on earth is going to be followed by the first breath if we breathe in heaven i don't know how it works but we close our eyes on earth we open our eyes in the presence of god and so the idea of soul sleep or or some kind of purgatory or something is just not the biblical teachings of, of scripture or of jesus himself yeah that's, that's, remember that's what good news <laughs> Remember what Jesus said? Um, and this was interesting because years ago I was hosting another radio program, the Gino Geraci Show, on on another uh, Christian station here in town. And a lady used to call to argue all the time. And I actually was doing the show for two weeks in a row while Gino was on vacation. And she kept calling back. She was a Seventh-day Adventist, I think, or a Jehovah Witnesses. I don't remember. Uh, and they both view soul sleep. They both have the same view. Did you know that uh, Je- the Ho- Jehovah Witnesses came out of the Seventh Day Adventists? So they took the doctrine and went more extreme with it. But at any rate, she said when I when I told her to just a simple scripture, I said there's no way that soul sleep uh, is is true. She said, "Well, give me an example." And I said, "Well, remember Jesus hanging on the cross to one of the thieves that repented. What did he say?" He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. And and he means it. Like he's meaning, he's speaking in time. And her answer was, well, the English translation's got the comma in the wrong place. To which really isn't, that's really not a strong answer because in the Greek language, there are no commas. And it reads straight through. And the comma was there to enhance our understanding of the Greek language, but there was there's no there's no formatting, there's there's no uh, periods, commas, and that such. It just reads on, and and the Greeks could understand the the sentence structure and such. So the reality of Jesus telling the thief on the cross, "Hey, we're going to be together. Like you're, I'm not going first, and you're coming later. Right now, today, we're going to be together in paradise." It's pretty cool. Yes, sir. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. All right. All right. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. Tammy in Akron. Tammy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hey, Tammy, can I ask you a question real quick? Uh-huh. Where's Akron? It's, um, do you know where Fort Morgan is? Yes, I do. It's near Fort Morgan. Gotcha. I, I was hoping you were calling from Ohio. No. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do for you, Tammy? Um, I've been baptized before, but okay. I didn't feel nothing. So, and I have the Holy Ghost. Yes. But I was just wondering if my husband, who has the Holy Ghost, can baptize me because. There's not really a church around here that, you know, believes in the water spirit baptism. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a second. When you say you were baptized, uh, what age were you? It was actually um, last year. Last year, so you were an adult. Two years ago, yes, I was an adult. And you understood what you were doing? 
correct? I repented, uh, yes. Uh-huh. So there's really no need to be baptized again, because baptism is just a one-time event. And okay, do you, you do it in the name of Jesus, right? Or is it the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Because actually I've been baptized... Um, Three times, one when I was younger, you know, little, and I don't really remember yes. that one. And then okay. two when I was an adult. Well, I, I believe we follow the motto that Jesus gave us. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that baptism is, I believe the Bible teaches that baptism is your identification outwardly with Jesus Christ through obedience, that the... The power is not in the water, but the power is in the presence of God in your life, and that only believers are baptized. So I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe that water. Ba- I believe the Bible teaches that water baptism doesn't save a person, but that saved people are baptized. And when you were baptized as an adult, you had mentioned you didn't feel anything, but there's really nothing to feel. So if it gave you a good feeling, or you we had a warm sense about it, or you even, the, the Holy Spirit gave you a special touch that day, um, whether you had that or not, the fact that you obeyed God through water baptism is exactly what God requests of us, and there's no need to be baptized again the rest of your life. So my sins are in, re, they're, re, uh, I can't even talk. they're forgotten, washed away. Yeah. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Absolutely, yes, by faith. You bet. And I got the Holy Ghost uh, June 13th of 2017. Praise God. Only believers receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. So let Thank me ask you. that. So not, okay, oh, with that ahead. settled, let, let, me ask, let me answer the second part of your question. Okay. Any believer can baptize another believer. Okay, good. In any water. We've done it. Um, I was just thinking of one of the pastors, Matt. He has a uh, he has a hot tub in his basement, and we've baptized in that hot tub. We've baptized in the reservoir. Right now, we baptized in painted horse troughs. Okay, that's what I was baptized the second time in. First time was the <laughs> river. Just, yeah, it's it's amazing. And you know, they that's where Jesus was baptized in a river in the Jordan. And when we go to Israel, I guess that's true. I if I'm think I we've I've also baptized in the river because when I take people to Israel, we baptized we've baptized them in the Jordan River right there at at Yard and Eat. Oh wow. Wow. That would be amazing. It is amazing. I hope one day uh this side of eternity, you know, we're all going to make it to Israel. But some will be able to take a tour, and I hope one day you might get to be a take a tour because it's it's powerful. It's such a it's such a great trip. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, thanks for calling in from Akron, Colorado. God bless you. All right, God bless you. Bye bye. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand is the number. I was really thinking uh, the way Akron was spelled and everything that that we because we get people listening uh, all around the country because of our app, and we are carried on Grace FM. That's our Colorado network. That's a 
ministry outreach of Calvary Church here. We're also broadcast on Hope FM, which is a ministry outreach of the Calvary Chapel in Marlton. And then we're also broadcast on another Christian network called Truth FM uh, down in the southern states, Kentucky, North Carolina, that area. And then we're on a, on a few low-power stations, low-power FMs that are owned by churches. And then, of course, our app. And uh, we're, we're very grateful. And online. Um, I think I put it out today on uh, we posted on on our social media the link for to listen online. So um, join us and tell your friends about Calvary Live and Grace FM. 303-690-3000. Greeley again. We're going to go to line one is Tom. Tom, welcome to the program. Hey, Tom, you're on the air. Oh, man, that's a great question. I wish you'd call back, Tom, because I'm going to answer it anyway. Maybe you can call back. But Tom, Tom, uh, Tom, I have all my call screen. He's trying to find a church. Some of the services feel like a performance, but is that a bad thing all the time or only sometimes? And I would say that there is nothing wrong in my biblical view, of a lively, exciting um, worship service. Uh, I I think that um, music, instruments, anointed men and women that love the Lord, I mean, I do have some convictions. I believe that, that the worship team should be believers. I believe that they should be anointed by God with the gift to lead us. Uh, I believe that they should do their best, right? They should offer to God their best. I am not opposed to lights on the stage. I'm not opposed to to haze on the stage. I'm not opposed to musical instruments on the stage. I'm not opposed to a lively, exciting celebration of our of our salvation. I mean, I think you know, I think of uh, in the presence of Jesus. Remember, um, uh, excuse me, in the presence of the throne room of God, um, we find that it's a it's a very dramatic setting uh, at the throne room of God. Uh, it's a very dramatic time where you, the worship of God was very dramatic, um, as the you know in Isaiah. Uh, chapter 6, when Isaiah was called to be a prophet, check this out. It says um, that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. One had six wings, covered his face, the other covered his feet. Uh, And they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Uh, The whole earth is filled with his glory, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Like it was a dramatic, amazing scene in heaven. It is right now that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, there's worship in the presence of God. And I think that, that there's nothing wrong with a tremendous outpouring of excitement during worship and song. However, I do understand what you're saying. If it becomes a performance, then I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be in a church that's putting on a concert. That's my personal, I don't, I, I get it. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with concerts. Um, I've, I've seen, I've gone to Pepsi Center. Somebody gave us tickets and I've gone to the Pepsi Center and, 
and went to a Hillsong United concert, it blew my mind away. God used it as a part of the healing in my grief. It was unbelievable. And so, but it was a concert. And yet they still preached the gospel. People got saved. It was, I was overwhelmed because I'm not really even a concert guy, period. Um, and I'm not opposed to concerts in our churches. I'm not, I'm not opposed to a hybrid, opposed to a hybrid, you know, where the, the level of music and everything is like, wow. But if it's just a fake performance, no, I'm not into that. And if it's just, you know, and, and it's hard to discern, I guess. I mean, I, I, it's a personal preference, maybe a feeling. And, and if you're in a church that seems to be performance-oriented, you should talk to them and get their point of view. Um, but I like what Pastor Ian and the team does here at Calvary. We have a variety. We have a variety. Uh, sometimes there's a full band there with a full setup, haze and lights and all that. Sometimes it's somebody with a guitar. Uh, one week we had the junior high worship team up there. Um, sometimes um, it, it, there's a variety. Some we have different instruments. Um, I, it, and maybe one week you might come in and say, "Oh, that's a performance." But I know the people on the stage. It's not a performance. I know them. And I mean, if it was, they would repent. I think Pastor Ian would come in my office and say, "You know what, Pastor Ed? Um, I think this last weekend was a performance, and and let's just pray together." Because uh, I don't want that in my life, or whatever. I mean, he would—he's an honest man. The ministry team is an honest group of people, and so. Um, but the music actually isn't the biggest deal per, to me personally. It's the teaching of God's word. That's the deal. Does the church teach the Bible? That is an essential. Do they teach the Bible? And let me add. I have a firm conviction, not teaching from the Bible, but actually teaching you the Bible. And we call that expository teaching, where we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book, giving not only the knowledge of the Bible, but the intent of the author by the Holy Spirit to the audience and the application. And it's impossible in the human realm to live on on a non-nutritious diet like you if you try to live on, on counting candy all week it, you'd be sick literally and you need a healthy well-balanced diet and christians believers the bible needs to be taught in a healthy well-balanced way and so i have a greater concern about churches that aren't teaching the bible that are abandoning the bible that are teaching other books instead of the bible uh, I'm I'm more concerned about that. You're gonna. It's just killing people, and the churches are spiritually, and its churches are overflowing, and they're playing Stairway to Heaven. Uh, that that I that I cannot. That I cannot. That that I cannot approve of. And maybe someone can call in and go, No, Ed, I want to establish to you why it's okay to play Stairway to Heaven during a worship set. Or some U2 song, uh, some, you know, whatever, whatever song that isn't worshipful. You know, there's a lot of argument about different um, different worship styles. But using secular music, I, I don't, I just can't stomach it. And, um, you know, we all draw our lines. So I wish you, if you are still listening, call back. I'd love to dialogue with you about it. 303 We are coming up in 
uh, to the first and only break of the show. So looks like lines are full. So text me. Let me see. I've got 30 seconds to see if I could pull a text real quick. What are your thoughts of Christians that seek mediums in the past lives? It is strictly forbidden. It is a sin. Don't do it. And how do I minister to them is the follow-up question. Um, I would open up the Bible and be ready to give the biblical reason why, but I would speak to them about maybe maybe there's a hurt in their life. Maybe they're missing their mom or a loved one. I would... I would not neglect to get to know them first before I gave them the biblical truth, but I would give them the truth. Going to mediums, spirits, astrology, all that is forbidden by God. It is not for believers. Stay away from it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back to Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, pastor here at Calvary. Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. We are fully, thoroughly, 100% Calvary Chapel ministry. Uh, I was saved in a Calvary Chapel, discipled in a Calvary Chapel, and and how the privilege now pastoring. This is our twentieth year, <laughs> and uh, so we are grateful to be a part of the move of the Holy Spirit in these last days. But we're also a part of the larger body of Christ. So we thank God for the Assembly of God, and we thank God for the Foursquare, for the our Southern Baptist friends. My Congratulations is in is in order for my friend, a very good friend of mine, Pastor John Moreland. Uh, he has been announced as the first African American president of the Colorado Baptist Association. Uh, he had served uh, last year as he took over, kind of midterm, for another pastor. But this year at their conference just a few weeks ago, uh, he was voted in. Uh, unanimously is what the video sounded like uh, as the president of uh, the Colorado Baptist. And then uh, my buddy Nathan, Dr. Nathan Lorick, has just been breathing life into so many churches. And there's another brother, I haven't met him yet, but he has this this amazing ministry to bring uh, revitalization to churches that are waning or declining and he's been doing it all over Colorado with the Southern Baptists. So, you know, we're a part of the larger body of Christ. And uh, we we are locking arms and locking shields with every true believer in Jesus' name. Uh, and very excited about what God's doing in these last days. I hope you're excited about what God's doing in these last days. And that you see the depth of what he wants to accomplish in your life personally. So let's go back to the phone lines Rudy in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hey, what's up? Thank you for answering. Okay, uh, before I proceed with my question, I would, uh, and before we hang up, I would ask that, you know, I could ask for a prayer for me okay. to always recognize the weaknesses in my marriage and always, right. you know, and to always be strengthened more in my marriage. And uh, my question is for a friend who's obsessively in love with uh, Someone who obviously don't love him, who 
They're not married. He met her on a chat line, moved out of state here in Colorado, out okay. to some Missouri. And she just has him in a world of, you know, you know, uh, not a world at all. And he just, he looks to my marriage and how I've changed my life and says, I, if you could do it, I could do it, you know, and... um Okay. I see. I kind of just only have simple words as far as you know. Don't let this lady stand in the way of the path God has for you. And you know, I I put Jesus in it, and he he's Jehovah. He was grown. He grew up Jehovah, and he kind of just throws that at me. And God well, says this, and I just don't want to give up on him because everybody's you know everybody's given up on him. So you're crazy. You're crazy. You know. So let's let, let's clarify. Let's make this easy. Are you okay. are you saying that you have a friend? who fell in love with a woman who wants nothing to do with him. Yes, exactly. He gets out okay, there. And they're, and okay, yeah. Hold on, hold on. It's okay. And they're not married? They're not married. They never got married. He's only known her a year. Okay. So, and you want to know what to tell him? Well, yes. That's, uh, I mean, I just, I, he calls me all the time talking about suicide and, you know, he's going to oh, win her man. over and he's going to, he's going to get her back. And, you know, he calls on me because. Get her back? Yeah, well, like, he, has he, he ever been me. in a relationship with her? Well, he met her online, went out there. She promised him this beautiful life, you know, her house and her cars and to share her kids. And I, he gets out there, and she immediately has him move out because she needs to finish with her ex-boyfriend, you know, divorce and whatever. So he waits for her. They get together. It's about a month or two goes by. He tells me she's taking him out, accusing okay. him of... So let's, let's, okay, let's just shut it all down and say... Why don't you offer to go out, pick him up, and bring him home? I have. I've I've offered him a ticket to get home. That, that is what I would I would keep doing, and then I would also speak to the hopelessness because he, I think, just the way you describe him, uh, that the hopelessness, which is really the root of suicide, um, is a very it, it's rooted in the worth and the value that he's placing this other person who doesn't really want anything to do with him. And he's living a lie. And people that live lies are miserable people. Yes, and, he's very. I, I so love him order, as a friend from since we were kids, you know, and I'm not going to give up on him. I hate to hear that. Don't, don't give up on him, but don't stop telling him the truth either. He needs, a bro, he needs a brother like you that will speak the truth and love to him because he's still calling you and still receiving from you. And you just don't know what conversation might be the one that he, it clicks in his mind that he's not in a relationship that's healthy for him. He's not in a relationship at all, but it's even what he thinks in his mind, it's not healthy for him. And okay. He needs to yeah, move I on. I mean, I think it's very of, obvious. It's kind, of, it's kind of berserk. You know, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I need some, some, some outside source on, you know, maybe what, what to tell him. Like, I've offered him home. Come home. I, I'll buy you a ticket. Come on the ground. Leave what you got. Come home. Your family's here. Your daughter's here. Everything you left is here. No, she, but he, he has to come home to his daughter, and that's another one. That's another one to continue to um, press in his life. That that love that he has for his daughter, he needs to come home and live in reality. And I know that's hard for him to receive, but that's the condition of his life right now. He's not living in reality, and you know it sounds like he might have even, in some ways, been catfished by this gal. And uh, you know, promised promised things that were just lies. And if he's giving any money, tell him to stop giving her money. Uh, if he is 
being used, you know, you, you know better than I do, but um, give him the kind of counsel uh, that, you, uh, that you have continued to do. All right? So, Father, I pray uh, for my brother as he has, um, well, first he asked for his own marriage and his own life, so I pray for Rudy. Thank you for Rudy being in his friend's life, and I know that this is a challenging thing to convince someone of the truth. But supernaturally, God, I pray you'd use Rudy to convince his friend to come home and just feel the pain of being betrayed and lied to so that he can come back home and take care of his daughter and minister to his family. And and I know these guys get caught up in this and they'd rather live, and gals, God, get caught up in these lies thinking that it's one way, but it's actually uh, the exact opposite. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, that was a hard one. Let's go off to New Jersey. Jessica on line one is waiting. Jessica, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. So my question is, um, I was reading, my question is about adultery. So I always thought in in my mind and how it was taught to me is like, you know, uh, Jesus said that uh, the only way for like div- like there's no reason for a divorce besides like adultery. So I always kind of took that as literally a physical sense of someone stepping out of their marriage. But I had talked to my father the other day about um, an article I had read about a man who was um, I guess he was looking at things that he shouldn't for a really really long time, and his wife stayed. And I had expressed like the frustration of like, wow, like this woman, she had to stay with him, and and my father was kind of like explaining, well, well, he's he was committing adultery there too, and I I guess it kind of blew my my stance. So I'm kind of wondering if two people are married. Um, and I don't, I don't know anybody, any of my friends who are married who've not expressed looking at someone with lust. So, in my mind, I'm kind of like, well, then I, I feel like most people I know have committed adultery in their marriage if it's just a heart-based issue. Sure, I think you're right. I think it's a, it's more common sin than people give it credit for. And Jesus is the one that defined that for us when he said in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-seven. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that Jesus means what he says. And the whole purpose of the teachings of Jesus in this section of Matthew that's known as the Sermon on the Mount was to reveal something to you and reveal something to me. Um, I'm married. I've been married for 30 years. Are you married? I am. How long have you been married? Four years. So collectively, our marriages uh, represent 34 years of covenant committed relationship. And the idea of lust or the idea of, uh, or not even the idea, the reality of lust or the reality of some kind of sinful thought has absolutely, I believe, entered into all marriages because we're not perfect and we are humans that are still touched and tainted by sin. So what's the recourse? Well, the recourse is to have an open, honest relationship in our marriages where we confess and forgive one another, uh, where we first confess our sins to God, and then we have an open dialogue with our spouse. And the you, you think, well, adultery usually is defined as some physical relationship outside of marriage, and that's true. But Jesus said it's deeper than that. 
that we can actually betray our spouses in our hearts, in our minds. Now, there is a difference in the consequence um, as I've walked through many different situations, whether it's just a lustful thought of some girl on the beach to pornography to a literal uh, adulterous sexual relationship with someone else. And the consequences are generally different, but I have found that the wife, it's primarily the wife that is, adultery is kind of, it's not, it's an equal opportunity sin, but it usually uh, is done by the husband uh, many times. And the wife feels, the and, and in the context of pornography, the wife feels like she's been betrayed as if it was a real physical act. Mm-hmm. And, so then, and so you've okay. got to really... You got to really walk alongside of couples to help them understand. You know, you can't have a guy in your office go, "Well, you know, I didn't go and sleep with them." Well, you know what, bro, you're missing the whole point because your wife's right here in the office crying her eyes out. You hurt her deeply, and the consequences of what you did are felt by your wife as if you did go have a physical relationship, and you don't understand, you know, how deep. And and again, it's not exclusively man to wives. I've We've ministered to wives that have committed adultery that way too. As a matter of fact, statistics say that women are almost overtaking men in watching adult in pornography these days, and so it's an equal opportunity sin. But the reality of when you factor in divorce, then you've got to be very careful because we don't start with we don't start with the exclusion or the permission. So Jesus doesn't mandate divorce. He gives permission for adultery. He gives permission for adultery because of the hardness of heart. But he doesn't give, he doesn't mandate divorce. He doesn't advocate divorce. God, as a matter of fact, went on record saying that he hates divorce. So no matter what the source of the adultery might be in the marriage, it's God's will for the couple to work it out and forgive and not go back to that place of sin again. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Sin, you know, divorce. It's almost like we've been, we've been conditioned in our culture that, you know, that even in the world, they say two wrongs don't make a right, but a lot of people do think two wrongs make a right. And so they've been sinned against. So why don't I just sin against you? And right after adultery, remember Jesus said, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. He says, look, radical sin needs to be dealt with radically. Like, like a lustful life is not God's will. A life of pornography is not God's will. A life of sexual promiscuity is not God's will. And it's not God's will in your relationship with him. Because remember, the... The law of God, the heart of God is summarized, Jesus said in this, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And your closest neighbor is the person you married. There isn't anyone on the planet that's closer than you, and closer to you, I should say. And so when you, when a person, not you necessarily, but when a person commits adultery, lusting, living in a life of lust, oh, you know, it's just who I am, and... I hear guys like, it's just who I am. I can't help it if the woman walks in front of me or whatever. Whatever excuse, the reality is, is that is neither loving God 
nor is it loving your wife or the girl that you're lusting after. And God has something better for us. And it's not okay. It's not okay, especially, it's not okay to, God hates divorce. You know why he hates divorce? Not really. Because sin is very destructive. And divorce is destructive to many people. Because marriage is a picture of a relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't divorce you and kick you out when you make mistakes? Mm-hmm. No, it's his heart to purify us. It's his heart and his desire to bring us all the way. He's in relationship with us. And so a lustful act is not a good um, outgrowth. It's not something that is healthy for a marriage, whether it's the physical act or it is the emotional act. They're both very painful, and they're both very, very important for us to avoid. So what exactly, what exactly got blew your mind with what you were told? Like what changed? What What's shocking you about what I said or what was told to you? I guess I, like I said, it was, I, I know that everything that Jesus says is heart-based, but when it came to that, um, even people, couples I've met who've gotten divorced and adultery has been an issue, it's always yes. been, well, this has physically happened. So when yes. I've, when I approached them, when, you know, when I was talking with someone that I knew and they're just like, well, we're going to put pornography and looking at people all under the same thing and we're literally it's literally all adultery and it really just kind of clicked i'm like well then in my in my mind i'm kind of like well maybe if a married couple comes up to me and they're like well she looked at a dude over there the other day and she committed adultery in her heart so i can get a divorce i'm not i I was like can i be mad at that now because before i was like well divorce is wrong except for adultery now i'm like it happens all the time i don't i don't know what to tell somebody okay so that's good thank you for clarifying so let me clarify your let me clarify your thinking biblically divorce is always wrong Mm. it's not wrong except for adultery it is wrong even after adultery. It is not God's heart for us to divorce. Obviously, it's not God's heart for us to commit adultery, for us to lie, for us to steal, cheat. Of course not. But divorce is always wrong. Mm-hmm. And and then you know you have people listening, but Ed, you don't know what happened to me. And what happened to me, there is provision. There is a provision that God made. There is. Mm-hmm. But provision doesn't mean that he wants you to do it. So there are cases where divorce is the decision that's being made. But if you right. came to me with that kind of attitude, well, you know, she she just uh, lusted after that guy so I can divorce her. Dude, you are so wrong. That would be the first, who knows what I would say, but it would be something along that line. Dude, mm-hmm. you're so wrong. You know, you well, let's sit down and talk about this because that statement tells me there's bigger things wrong in your marriage than whatever she's doing. And we need to get to the bottom of it. That just tells me they are, if she's lusting and it's true, may or may not be true, right? We need to find out for sure. And he's talking about divorce. That marriage is super deep in crisis. I don't know why yet, but I would have to sit down with them and find out. 
because it's more than just a divorce issue. Whenever divorce, I mean, I counsel guys, I counsel couples never to use that word divorce. Don't ever use it. Because if you start using it, you're going to convince yourself you can do it. And I have seen marriages survive significant sin. Um, I have seen marriages survive significant sin. And they're thriving today. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That's really good. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. That was a good question. I mean, that's a good clarifying question. I think we just live in a culture that, uh, you know, say, oh, let's get divorced, you know, and, and and even that phrase that God's changing in her mind, you know, that, that idea, well, you know, divorce isn't good except for uh, adultery. No, no, no. God, we start here. God hates divorce. It's only, listen, please hear me out. Some of you might have turned off, so I'm talking in the air. Maybe one day you'll listen on a podcast or something. But if you're talking a divorce right now, your heart is hard. And that's why you're talking divorce. And the solution may not be divorce. It may be for you to forgive so that God can heal your broken heart. Now, we are on a radio show where I don't have all the facts of your life. So please don't become defensive because I don't know your personal situation. I'm not advocating anybody, especially ladies, to be in a place of physical harm or abuse. No way, never. And I'm not advocating that there aren't some hard situations. There are. But divorce that word comes from a hardened heart. And like the brother we talked to earlier in the show, you don't need to sign any divorce papers. No. If you don't want to be divorced, don't sign them. And wait on the Lord to act. All right. Let's go to uh, Aurora, Colorado. Jesse has been waiting patiently. Line three. Jesse, (laughs) welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Ed. How are you doing? Good. What's up, man? Awesome. I um, I've, I went over to Uganda, Africa when I was 13 years old. I'm 30 now, 17 years ago, okay. and I have gone nice. back every year working with the same organization, the same ministry, the same pastor, and he has a really has had a very huge impact on my spiritual development. He's been a, a father figure, a mentor to me, very very deeply. And three years ago, um, he called me when he was, he was, he's African, he's Ugandan, he came over here, he fundraises in the spring and in the fall. And he came over in the spring uh, three years ago, and there was allegations or concerns uh, about a sexual relationship with a woman outside of his wife okay. here in the U.S. It uh, okay. really shattered, shattered my world, and uh, yes. because I held him in such high regard, and I've really... Um, Honestly, I, I really felt like, looking back, I kind of pushed him out of, out of my life and just buried it. I didn't address it. And the last three years, it's taken a deep toll on my marriage and my personal relationship with God. And I want to address it now. I want to fix it. And I can tell that there's still a lot of hurt and pain in my heart of what I, how I saw him. I associated him with um, almost the equivalence of Christ, to be honest. And so I, I guess my question really is, how do I, how do I go about making sure that God is uprooting the pain and the hurt 
that is in my heart, the bitterness that's in my heart, and allowing the complete healing to happen, I realized there's always going to be a scar there and not allowing this to continue to affect my marriage, my relationship with God, my desire to serve in ministry in the future. Well, I think you hit it on the head in terms of the biggest mistake that you made, and that was putting this guy in a position of God, you know, valuing him and his mentorship more than who he really was, was just a weak, frail man like you and me. And the beginning of, of relief in all this is true biblical repentance, to really understand that I know that the pain and such has brought this to the surface, but what it's brought to the surface is more important than the pain you're going through, and that is that by doing, by looking up to this man and placing him in a position that's equal to Christ in some ways, you know, I don't think you thought he was Jesus, but the idea of you looking up to him maybe more than you should have or more than you uh, really uh, needed to in terms of your relationship with Jesus, that the true beginning of getting out of this is repentance, godly sorrow for your missed, um, misappropriation of your worship, uh, because it's actually not about this guy at all. It's about you and your relationship with God. And to be really, and I hear it in your voice, but I'm not sure, I wonder if you've voiced it to God yet, and ask God to forgive you for placing this man in a position that was only reserved from him. Have you done that yet? Actively, consciously, no, I haven't. That's gonna where that's where healing's gonna begin. I I would encourage you because because I I want you to un, I I could ask you let's do it right now, but I think you need to grasp this more than just a radio program. So I want you to read through Psalm fifty one, which is commonly known as a Psalm of repentance. The sin that David committed is different than yours, but the result is the same. And you'll get a good view of what repentance feels like, sounds like, looks like in the life of David. And then secondly, I'd like you to go to our website, or, or actually go to our app. It's easier to find on our app. And I want you to look up the Bible study that I did on the topic of godly sorrow. So let me see if it's if that's just how you'll find it. So let me put in into... Okay, yes. So just in the search button uh, of the app, just put in the words godly sorrow. And I did a Bible study on this topic. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And I think, you know, considering where you are listening to you, you're right there. But I want you to be able to do this in a way that you fully understand what's happening. And God even gives you some kind of revelation of what you did. Um, and what you, what what type of sin was really... Because you're suffering the consequences of your sin, not his sin. You know that, right? Right. And and so let's get to the root of that, because you don't control what that guy does. And he's just a man. He shouldn't surprise you. You know, disappointment always comes from wrong expectations. And we, we're, we're disappointed all the time, because we have wrong expectations for people. I'm a pastor. People think I'm... People think I'm something that I'm not. Uh, and when they find that out, they're all, oh, I'm so disappointed. You're just a regular person. Well, what do you think I was? You know, like live with me for a day. I'm not, I don't think I'm disqualified. I don't think I'm like a rampant sinner, but I'm a normal guy that by grace, God has chosen to use. And, you know, we get disappointed in our spouses. Oh, they should have done this and should have done. Well, we just have wrong expectations. 
And your wrong expectations led you into a relationship, a mentor-mentee relationship that actually came in between you and God. Mm. And that guy should have stopped it because he should have seen it for what it was. Because I, you know, if you did that to me, go, oh, Ed, you're so important to me, and I, I'm just, oh, you know, instead of letting my pride get all excited, I need to stop it. I'd rather have you mad at me for telling you, no, nah, bro, don't do that. I can't, I can't be what you want. Well, Ed, you're a horrible pastor. No, I'm actually not a horrible pastor. Uh, I'm just a man that's going to point you to Jesus, because I'm not God. And you and I will right. both look to Jesus together. But there's a lot of guys, you know, that will take advantage of sincerity and take advantage of a guy like you that says, man, I just want to grow in grace. And I'm so, I'm sure it just started out with, man, I'm just so excited about your ministry. You're just so fruitful. But then it turned into something ugly that when he finally fell, it jacked you up. But the good news is, is that repentance brings immediate healing, immediate, the, the beginning of healing starts immediately. But you really have to understand, I've sinned against you, God, and you alone. And God will begin to repair the you know the situations you got. Then you go into your wife and say, "I am so sorry, honey. Will you forgive me for all the pain that I've caused you by my sinful actions?" I'm telling you, bro. There, I haven't met too many wives that wouldn't want to hear their husbands say that. So, Lord, bless my brother. Encourage him and let him give that wisdom that he's need that he needs to walk in freedom and forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, bro. Call back and let me know how it goes. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. End of the show. Happened so fast. Come out to Calvary Church this week, and we're back in the book of Hebrews. So grateful to be a part of your life and what God's doing. Stay close to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.